0: The word of God that comes to us today is from Jesus, who says, Be gone, Satan. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, kids say the darndest things, we often say that. And some of the things they say, we wish they hadn't. Some of the things they say reveal what's true about us, older folks as well. One thing that uh, I heard is this. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. You're like, just let that roll in your mind a while. That was not one of my kids who said that, by the way. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Anyone hear something like that from a kid when they're having a temper tantrum? Or you yesterday, right? Yeah, making your chili or whatever. Burning your chili. Nobody loves me. Well, we think that's kind of silly. Who would ever think or say that, except it's us who often can begin to say, well, you know, no one really loves me. We might not say it out loud, we might not want to believe that, but sometimes we do. And I just want to take this to our our reading today and our, our topic is, if we really believed that we were loved, loved fully by God, we probably wouldn't do all the things that we do. You know, we wouldn't um, steal a few extra bucks out of, you know, uh, the drawer. We wouldn't Uh, We wouldn't talk behind people's backs. Um, We wouldn't uh, sleep around. We wouldn't um, curse God's name. We wouldn't do whatever it is that at the moment makes us happy. At the moment helps us cope. We wouldn't do those things if we really believed. That's just my theory. You guys agree with that? We end up doing things because, in our heart of hearts, we stop, at least for that moment, believing. We start believing, nobody loves me, or at least God doesn't love me. Well, uh, that's a temptation that we're all prone to face. And that is um, what we'll talk about today, temptations. And I I want to just uh, think for a moment, where do temptations come from? You can help me out here. The devil, okay, what else? That's for sure, right, our gospel reading. The devil is all over Jesus. We'll get there in a minute. Where else do they come from? Society, Society, right? People out there, the world, the culture out there. Anything else? Us, right? Comes from us. Lutherans like to say it in these three words, the world, that's society, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, That's where our temptations come from. Uh, James tells us that they don't come from God. This is James. I'll just, just so you know this, I'll put a couple of different things together here. James 1 says that our, our trials or our temptations, they come from our flesh. They said they don't, God doesn't tempt anybody, uh, but uh, they come from our desires inside of us. Right? We can't get away from them. right? We cannot escape temptation, can we? Can you go home today and be like, I'm all good. There was a sermon about temptation. All set. I'm good. Not going to happen. No, you're not going to do that. Even right now, you are tempted to zone out. I'm not saying that's a sin, but I'm not saying it's not. You know, I've got to do a better job myself. We're going to be tempted constantly because of the world, the flesh, and the devil. One thing I'm going to throw out there, and I'll say this, I was going to say it later, but I'll say it now, about temptation. It does not come from God, but since we can't escape it, I want to just, make a note about something we say every Sunday. Hopefully you say it more. The Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Then it turns to us. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. Then what do we say? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. right? I don't think the very best translation, and I've studied a few different scholars, so I'm not a scholar, but you can just see if this fits for you. I don't think that Jesus is teaching us to pray, don't let me ever be tempted. Because he knows we will be tempted. Right? You can't escape the world, the flesh, and the devil. Right? So I think he's saying, Lord, Father, do not only bring us into temptation, rather even more, deliver us from evil. Right? He's acknowledging that yes, we are led sometimes because we exist, led into temptation. But God, let me not. Uh, but God, let me be delivered from evil. Or literally, it's the evil one. Do you ever think about that when you're praying the Lord's prayer? God, deliver me from the evil one. Do you ever pray it like that? That's literally what Jesus has taught us to pray. Right. So you cannot escape temptation. Sometimes God will bring you into temptation, but even more, he wants to deliver you from the evil one. Does that make sense? Just kind of keep that. This is exactly what happens to Jesus today. So open up, you can read your, the Bible or your bulletin. Matthew chapter 4. Look at the very first words. Matthew chapter 4. First words say this. Then Jesus was led up into, or led up by who? Spirit. The Spirit. That's God, right? Just moments ago, as we read, uh, Jesus was baptized in the place of sinners. And Jesus had the Spirit descend on him. And Jesus had the words of the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. That's the last word from God. And the Spirit's on him. And now what does the Spirit do? He's led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by the devil. So we often think of Jesus as succumbing to all the problems that are coming at him. And that's true in one sense. But in another sense, Jesus is on the offense. Right? Jesus is on the offense. He is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to battle. And so in the Lord's Prayer, the same thing acknowledges. We're led sometimes into battle. Lord, deliver us from the evil one. So let's take a look at, at what Jesus faces here. He's led up on offense by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He has three temptations he's going to face. Obviously, a lot more. But only he was there. And he obviously told this to his disciples. He wanted us to know the three temptations he faced that kind of, in some ways, summarize all of our temptations. Okay. Uh, so since we can all acknowledge we have temptations, we can look at Jesus here and think... What did Jesus do? So the first temptation is this. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. It's an understatement. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Obviously, he's questioning his identity. What did he just hear? This is my beloved Son. And now the tempter says, well, if you are the Son of God. He's not calling into question whether or not he is. What he's saying is, if you are, or since you are, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, this, to us, it's like, well, of course, uh, Jesus fed the 4,000 and the 5,000 miraculously. Why can't he just turn a few stones into bread? He's hungry. Well, Jesus is doing something. He is undoing the history of Israel. He is rewriting the temptations that the people of God fell into. He's fixing it. He's going back and recreating their history by becoming Israel for us. I don't know, that's, that's lofty. I apologize if that's too much for you. But think about the people of Israel. They uh, pass through the Red Sea, right? Miracle of miracles. That's Exodus 14. Exodus 15, it's a big party. They're celebrating and singing to God. We made it. Can't believe it. Exodus 16, they're in the wilderness. And so, Exodus 14, they pass through the water. Exodus 15, the party. Exodus 16, all of a sudden, they don't have everything they need. They are short on food they don't have the food and so they are struggling and God is testing them and they begin to murmur and complain even though they just got set free from Egypt they're complaining against God because they don't have what they think they need and so uh, later they would quote this uh, God would quote this and write this Moses would write this to them Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Deuteronomy, it says here, I I let you be hungry. I let you go through those hard times because I loved you, I discipline you. And then he says, also so you know, it's not about you, so you know that you have to live not just on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the first temptation is this, and if you're, you're taking notes, you could write this down, but this is kind of what I came up with is this this temptation says this i must take care of myself i must take care of myself cuz no one else is going to do it that's how jesus is tempted here that's how the people in the desert were tempted got to take care of myself and it seems logical doesn't it who else is going to take care of you anybody have those temptations they're all different, but they're all the same. That's the first temptation. Jesus faces it by quoting scripture and saying that everything you have comes from God and he will give you what he, you need. All right, the second temptation, verse five. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. And then Satan does this thing. For it is written. "What?" What is Satan doing right now? He is quoting scripture. So he's like, Jesus, if you say that you have to live by every word of God, how about this word of God? And then he quotes from Psalm 91. He'll command his angels concerning you. On their hands they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So throw yourself down and God will save you. The temptation here, whereas the first one was, I must take care of myself. This one is something like this. I must force God To take care of me however I decide. I'm going to make God do what I want. I don't know if that's a temptation for you. I think it's a temptation for many of us. If I do X, God must do his part, right? Bargaining with God or, or reasoning with God, something like that. In the desert, the people of Israel, they say something like this. They're thirsty and they want God to come through on the way they've decided. And they say, is God among us or not? Basically, it comes down to this. They wanted God to act the way they wanted him to act. They weren't willing to let God be God. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, Jesus comes back and says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He puts one scripture along another to give us the whole picture, how to read. Let God be God. Alright, third temptation is this, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to them, All these I'll give you, if you will fall down and worship me. This seems like a pretty silly thing. Like, Jesus is God. He's not going to take your little bait, Satan, right? Well, why did Satan try this? Because it has worked. It has worked. If you sell out just a little bit, if you compromise just a little bit, I'll give you this. Oh, and we all fall into that temptation. It all looks different, and it all looks the same. So whereas the first one was, I must take care of myself, second one was, I must force God to take care of me the way I've decided, this third one is fine. I can't take care of myself, and God's not taking care of me? Well, the world will take care of me. I'll find what I want out in the world, whether it's pleasure, uh, riches, fame, entertainment, whatever it is, I'll find it. And Jesus turns us back to the very most important thing and and says, Be gone, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. So Jesus is the only one, as far as I know, who passed the test, right? Even this morning, did you pass the test? Did you successfully come to church sin-free, conscience totally great? No temptations that you've given into? No. You come struggling. So you might be thinking, wow, this is really nice. It worked out good for Jesus, right? Good for Jesus. Right? He's holy. And you might get cynical and say, well, this is kind of depressing because I can't measure up to Jesus. Like I know I'm supposed to, but I can't. Alright, everyone just take a deep breath. We come to this moment knowing we, that we don't measure up to Jesus. But from this episode of Jesus, I have two things that are good, good news for you. Uh, they're theological words. They show up in the Bible. The first word is justification. The other word is sanctification. So big, fancy words. But I'm going to bring it down to a minute. If we're looking outside, there's, uh, it's beautiful out there. And it's cold, isn't it? But inside, it's nice and warm. Think for a moment. If... These windows along here are all different aspects of your life. Like this one is the one of how much you, um, how well you talk about people. And that one over there is how pure your eyes are. And that that one over there is um, how much you pray to God. You know, whatever it is, all the things you're supposed to do, that you know. Now, how many of these windows would it take to be totally broken open that this building is freezing cold? One. Pat says our heat system's not good enough. If one window's broken open, all the pipes are gonna freeze, right? Would you guys agree with Pat? All right, well, I think the truth is that it's not just one of our windows that are broken, right, it's most of them, if not all of them, just totally smashed, have bullet holes through them, smithereens, Swiss cheese, right, doesn't, they don't work, they don't measure up. that's the bad news, and you're like, oh, come on, Reiko, let's move on. Well, we can't move on until we know why what Jesus did helps us. So the first word is, is justification. Jesus, as we read in Romans, uh, Ken read this earlier, Jesus came to this world not to, not just to successfully defeat the devil for himself, but to defeat the devil for us. right? In, uh, in Matthew 16... There's this great, and I'll try to be quick here. In Matthew 16, there's this episode where where Jesus says, Who do you guys say that I am? And and Peter knows, because the Father told him. And Peter says, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Simon. And on that confession, I will build my church. And then Jesus, right after that, starts telling them, All right, I am the Christ, but guess what? I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be killed. On the third day, I'll be raised. And it made no sense to them. So Peter took him aside, took Jesus aside, said, Jesus, far be it from you, that will never happen to you. You're the Messiah. You can't suffer. And you know what Jesus said to Peter? Anyone know? Get behind me, Satan. He called his dearest disciple, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Jesus had to come to suffer Chapter 20, he'll get in Matthew 20, he'll say this that the Son of Man himself didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was perfect and not just for himself. Romans 5, as we read earlier, it says, let me get there. Jesus was perfect and perfectly obeyed so that his ransom would be perfect. Romans 5, 18 and 19, it says, I'll just read verse 19. As by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's our parents, Adam and Eve. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. By the obedience of Jesus, by his defeat of Satan in the wilderness, and his, all the, his ministry, his cross, all of that, because of that, his obedience makes the many righteous. Are you one of the many? If you believe that he came for you, and he did, then you are. Yes, So he comes, and he sees your life in smithereens, all your windows broken out, your pipes are broken, and he comes and says, Father, here, take this copper pipe, put it on there. Father, take this window of my righteousness and put it up there. Remake the house with my righteousness. And then he lets us live in it. So that's the good news, that he comes and gives us his obedience for us. Amen? That's good. We could go home, except... We have that other word, which is also good news sanctification. Justification, you are declared righteous by Christ's obedience. Sanctification, it's a little harder. It sounds like bad news. You got to start living holy. Is that bad news? Sounds like it to our flesh, right? That means I got to change. Yeah, it does. It does. But it's good news because it sets us free. Like, oh, I get to now live in this warm place where the sun is shining. I get all of God's life right now. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So sanctification is good news. Part of sanctification is being like Jesus, where when you're tempted by the devil, you look to his word. And when one part of that word conflicts, you look at the other parts. And where you are tempted to sell out You ask God for help. You pray the Lord's Prayer. Lord, we are in the midst of temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. So that's temptation. We are called to resist temptation, to flee from it. Let me end with this. 1 Corinthians 10, if you have a Bible. Paul is reminding these people that they're a lot like the people of God before them. They're a lot like all those Israelites who went through the desert, who were tempted to worship all kinds of things. Let me just list the things that they're tempted to give into and that they did give into uh, craving evil, uh, worshiping idols, sexual immorality, testing the Lord's patience, grumbling against God's ways. Those all kind of sound familiar in some way. We're, we do the same. But he says, you don't have to stop there. He says this I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 10 verses 12, and then we'll end with this passage. He says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Do you get that? The things that you're dealing with that you might be